It is just about that time of year in the Northern Hemisphere when the leaves change their colors and the air starts to take on a bit of a chill. Autumn is but a day or so away and that means a whole lot of things are changing with the leaves. School has started up again and everyone's minds are changing their gears to look forward to Yom Kippur, Halloween, Thanksgiving at least in the United States, and of course we mustn't forget pumpkin spiced everything. As autumn begins, so too does Hispanic Heritage Month. Now for the usual introduction. This is Julian Rushbrook and I am here to brighten up your history hump day with a history most queer. To honor the queer Hispanic community, we will take a look at a few fascinating icons that make up the threads and the tapestry of this community. For this week's subject, I think this man hardly needs an introduction. For fans of the campy adventures of the 1960s Batman television show, this man is an icon. His name was Cesar Romero, and yes, he was famous to generations of fans as the clown prince of crime, the Joker. This man's career did not begin or end with this role, however. He tread the boards of Broadway back in 1929, and then moved to film and later television with a career that spanned six decades. His career was not just one of stage and screen, however. Cesar Romero would, like many other Hollywood stars of the period, serve in the military during the Second World War. While he was a heroic person in real life, it was, of course, his roles as the villain that cemented his fame. So, without any further ado, let's jump back into the past and explore his life. Cesar Julio Romero Jr. was born in the city of New York, on the 15th of February, 1907. His father, Cesar Julio Romero Sr., was a Spanish immigrant to the United States, having come from Barcelona. His mother, Maria Mantilla, was the daughter of the Cuban poet, philosopher, and nationalist, Jose Marti. Marti was an influential voice that called for the independence of the Cuban people from, the, from Spanish dominion. Indeed, he would lose his life to the cause for Cuban independence, being killed in the Battle of Dos Rios in 1895. Young Caesar, while born in New York, he would later take on the nickname the Latin from Manhattan. He did much of his growing up in New Jersey. His father had a successful business as an importer and exporter of sugar. It was a stable environment and he was able to pursue a career on stage. His first performance was in The Street Singer in 1929. 
but his career would soon thereafter move him to the West Coast. This move to California was fortunate for his family. When the stock market crashed in 1929, ushering in a rapid end to the Roaring Twenties, his father's sugar business took on heavy losses. Caesar Jr. would now have to support the family that had done so much for him as a child. This family would join him in California. He would live off and on with family members, but never had any children, nor married. While he would start to find success in playing the Latin lover in film after film during the 1930s and 40s, seducing women left, right, and center, in his personal life, women were not the people being seduced by Caesar. We will have to jump a bit forward for some of this. In 1996, the author Bose Hadley would write about Caesar Romero in his book, Hollywood Gaze. Hadley would also write about other Hollywood royalty like Rock Hudson. Caesar did die a few years before the book was published, so some have claimed that the allegations in the book were false. It is interesting that the man would often attend events and parties with such lovely women as Lucille Ball, Joan Crawford, and Ginger Rogers, but he never did marry any of them. Many of these women would be frequent dance partners with him. He began his career dancing on stage and screen. Betty Grable would appear with him in film, both dancing away. His love of dancing would follow him through his whole life. It is well known that Caesar could be counted on to be charming, to be an excellent dance partner, and to be discreet. This discretion would often find him dropping off an actress that he was escorting to a party or event, only to meet up with a male lover for the after party. His first starring role was aside Marlene Dietrich in 1935's The Devil is a Woman. Now, she is someone that we will have to do an episode on as well, but that is another story for another time. He did not get completely typecast into the Latin lover role. He was, he was, however, chosen for the purpose of being the new Rudolph Valentino. Again, that's another star of the silver screen that deserves an episode of this podcast all his own. Now, the two men never met, as Valentino died when Caesar was a teenager still living in New Jersey. Homophobia would, in some ways, affect the young actor as he was trying to make his way in Hollywood. MGM had an opportunity to have the actor star in some of their films, but they passed on him due to the studio heads not being a fan of queer actors. The Austrian-American director, Josef von Sternberg, commented upon Caesar once that he thought the man ought to find himself a wife if he ever expected to get anywhere in the picture business. Several actors would do just that, marrying opposite-sex partners to keep up appearances and to protect their careers. Caesar commented in an interview, I was able to evade some pressure. We all had some pressures brought to bear on us. But I did evade the noose. I mean the knot. Freudian slip. While he might attend a gala with a woman, he never did become romantically involved with any. A popular character of the time, the Cisco Kid, which had started out as a murderous desperado, 
would find redemption in radio and film as a heroic Mexican caballero. Caesar would appear in six films as the character, so work was coming steadily to the young actor, but homophobia would end his appearances after the sixth film. Apparently, moviegoers in Central and South America thought his portrayal of the cowboy character was too much of a dandy, and eventually, the United States State Department pressured the studio to recast the role. The actor who replaced him was seen as too lustful, so a Romanian-born actor replaced this man, and this actor played the Mexican character without any real sexuality. If it was not homophobia in Hollywood, it was racism. Apparently, an attractive Latino man with charisma was just far too upsetting to be seen in a film. As was common in this period, actors would often be cast in a variety of roles where they would take on various ethnicities. Italian gangsters and East Indian princes were roles that, along with Hispanic characters, gave Caesar a lot of latitude to mold himself into all manner of characters. One role would have him playing a villain, the next a lover, and the next after that a gunslinger from the Old West. He, find him, he found himself taking on a foreign accent when he starred alongside Shirley Temple or Henry Fonda. After the Empire of Japan attacked the United States' naval base at Pearl Harbor, the country was finally thrust into the already raging Second World War. The nation needed soldiers, sailors, and marines, and a large contingent of the Hollywood stars would find themselves in uniform. The aforementioned Harry Fonda, Clark Gable, and Mickey Rooney were household names that would find themselves serving in the fight. So too would Cesar Romero. In 1942, he joined the United States Coast Guard and entered the fight in the Pacific Theater. He would see action during the invasions of Tianan and Saipan. An interesting bit of trivia about Tianan is that the atomic bomb, Little Boy, was originally housed there before it was transported to the Enola Gay and then dropped on Hiroshima. After the war, Caesar would return to acting. In 1947, in perhaps his greatest performance, he would portray the real historical figure Hernán Cortés, the Spanish conquistador who would end up causing the fall of the Aztec Empire and ushering in control of large parts of Mexico to the Spanish crown. The film, Captain from Castile, would have him co-starring with Tyrone Power and living with him for the three months they filmed in Mexico. This is pretty significant as the pair were rumored to have been romantically involved for some time. Cesar, in an interview with Bose Hadley, would speak of their relationship. My close friend, my dear friend, Ty Power. I gather Ty was rather tortured about it. He was a prominent movie star and icon. He wanted to be straight, but more than that, he was terrified of being found out. Now, Tyrone Power was himself bisexual and had affairs with men and women. Famously, he even dated Judy Garland at a time. Cesar would, from time to time, pick up a trick for power. Apparently, most stars had a preference for young men being picked up from the street. But Power preferred these young men to be middle class. He believed that they would be more discreet. 
Executives at 20th Century Fox, the studio both Romero and Powers were under contract with, would not tolerate any of their stars to be caught up in a scandalous affair. In this period, a rumor of homosexuality would be career-ending. Many actors had to be very careful that lesbian or gay affairs be kept out of the press. While they might have been open with friends and family, the wider world had to be kept ignorant of the truth or their lives would be totally smashed to pieces. Cesar Romero was open about his affairs, at least to his friends. He earned the nickname Butch, which is something that you can take and think about at your leisure. Another famous star that is said to have been involved with Cesar was Desi Arnaz. Now, I don't know if he was still married to Lucille Ball at the time. That would have been an awkward conversation with Lucy. Needless to say, Cesar Romero had the title of Confirmed Bachelor attached to his name for his entire life. While he was tight-lipped about his private life to the press, to anyone else, he was an open book. It was said that his homosexuality was one of Hollywood's worst-kept secrets. With the coming of the 1950s and 60s, Cesar would find a home on the small screen as well as the big one. He would have a reoccurring role as the uncle of Don Diego de la Vega in Zorro. Likewise, he looked into other business ventures, opening up a chain of men's clothing stores throughout California. In many ways, his six-foot-three frame was a walking advertisement for his stores. It was claimed that he owned 500 suits, 190 sports jackets, and 30 tuxedos. So it makes sense that the actor would be a perfect fit for offering up fashion advice to others. Appearances on variety shows, as well as parts in shows ranging from westerns to sitcoms, kept the actor always in the public eye. Soon, however, his fame would be cemented for generations to come. In 1966, he would don the purple suit and green hair of the Joker in both the Batman television show as well as the movie. He greatly enjoyed the campy and over-the-top show. He was not the only member of Hollywood elites that would try for at least a cameo role. Vincent Price, Tula Bankhead, Liberace, Joan Collins, and Eartha Kitt were just a handful of famous faces that jumped at the chance to have a little fun in Gotham City. Cesar had a great time on the show. As the normal rules of acting were thrown out of the window for his performance, he could be as grandiose and overdramatic as he liked, and it only added to the performance. I loved it, except for all the laughter, my throat. At first, I felt somewhat foolish. The show was rather juvenile, and the guy never stopped laughing like a hyena in heat. Once I saw what a popular hit Batman was twice a week, and a feature film from it, I relaxed into it. I just laughed and made more money than I had in some time. There was one small concession that the producers of the show had to make for their clown prince of crime. 
Cesar refused to shave off his signature mustache, so the makeup artists just slapped the white face paint right over it. They probably did a better job than the whole Superman mustache erasure thing, but eh, anyway. The Latin from Manhattan would not give up that little bit of vanity for the role of a lifetime. You can even make out that the Joker had a mustache in a lot of the photos. On the political front, Cesar would, as a registered Republican, end up campaigning and helping out a lot of Republican friends. He was involved in supporting Richard Nixon in his bid for the White House, as well as fellow actor Ronald Reagan when he was running for the governorship of California. And, of course, later when he ran for president. I suppose that nobody is perfect. Granted, the Republican Party of the mid-20th century was far different than it is in the 21st. He would continue to appear in small performances in the 1970s and 80s, even appearing on Golden Girls, which is, by all measures, practically a queer divine document. When many of his fellow celebrities had retired or had passed away, he continued working, partying, and often the only sign of his aging was his hair and mustache going whiter. He would comment once to a magazine about his youthful stamina and looks. People are starting to call me Dorian Gray. On the 1st of January, 1994, Cesar Romero would die at the age of 84 from complications from pneumonia and bronchitis. In all, he had a long and successful life. Despite not having achieved superstar status, he was known in every household in the United States and beyond. For generations, he, he will be remembered as the silly and yet evil Joker, and probably will be for generations yet to come. Well, I think that that brings this episode to an end. I hope all of you have enjoyed learning about this Hispanic star and his eventful life. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate the podcast wherever you listen. And if you want to drop me a line with a question, comment, or criticism, you can send that message via the Instagram at HistoryMostQueer or send an email at HistoryMostQueer at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, I wish all of you health and happiness. Bye-bye. Woo! <laughs>